This summer we are talking about how to keep the fire of faith burning all of your life. It's a question that often comes up when I speak with kids at summer camp. I'm going to do that this week up in Wisconsin at Camp Fairwood. But today I'm representing Youth Haven. I'm an unofficial Youth Haven representative. I want to do something. How many of you have uh, participated, contributed, worked to help Youth Haven? Stand to your feet. Can we just do that one time? Just stand up real quick. You, you, you participated, you've helped, you've been there, you've, uh, Youth Haven, stand up. I know probably all of you because we all have supported, but look at that. Thank you, VC. I, I wanted to do that not, not to embarrass you, but because Youth Haven, it goes way back in this church, and we hope it goes way, way forward too. It's a place, a precious place where young people can hear of Jesus. In the house today, I will not embarrass anybody, but in the house today, we could bring a testimony of life change. I want to be careful, but I talked to a young man one time and I said to him, so, you know, are you, are, are, were your parents a church-going Christian? He said, not, not really. I said, what made you want to have a Christian family? He said, when I went to Youth Haven when I was a boy. He's here today. And uh, anyway, so uh, Youth Haven, representing Youth Haven today. And, uh, and we're talking about how to keep the fire of faith burning all your life. And we've already said, first of all, you have to be genuinely converted. And you can, you can watch these online. We archive all of our messages online. You can watch that old message. But then the second step we said was we, you want to consecrate, you want to have a, a consecration of your life to the Lord. That's great. That happens at camp a lot, but it can happen anywhere. Uh, and, the, and the Bible talks about that in Romans 12, consecrating yourself to the Lord, a holy dedication of yourself to the Lord. That can happen immediately at salvation. It can happen afterward as well. Of course, it can happen over and over again. And that was the third message. And that is if you want to keep the fire of your faith burning all your life, make sure you're genuinely saved and consecrate yourself to the Lord. And then schedule seasonal renewals of consecration. This is what I would be telling kids at camp who would say to me, how do I keep my fire burning? I said, well, you got to have more than just camp. Camp is awesome, but it isn't enough. And you want to have a, a consecration of yourself to the Lord. And then you want to have a, you want to schedule s- seasonal renewals of consecration. As a family, we did this. And Lois and I would sit down and we would plan our year around those trips that we would take to a conference with our family. My oldest daughter said to me, Dad, where would we be if we hadn't done that? It was so important to our family. And we would, we would go to a conference that meant a lot to all of us. We spent a lot of money on that conference. We traveled a long way to that conference. That was very meaningful to us. And it might be different for you. It might be a camp, it might be a conference, it might be a concert, it might be something that uh, may, may look different for you than, than a whole bunch of preaching sessions. It might be a, see, a time you just get away to a place and you've agreed together as a family. This is where I have a friend, uh, this is where we pray and reconsecrate ourselves to the Lord. They're looking at me, I'm finishing my sentences today. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, it may simply be, you have a friend who, um, he has what, what he calls a family consecration every year. You ought to see this family. This is incredible. That guy, incredible how God has used this man and his wife and their family. And they have a family consecration every, and, they, and their kids participate in it. They do it every year. And uh, something like that would be good. So that was the third message. But today, uh, we've reached the fourth message in our series of messages. And I want to do 
uh, three things so you know where we're headed. First, I want to give you an example from the Psalms. You've read it, we've read it already, but I want to talk about this a bit, an example from the Psalms of why what I'm going to talk about today is powerful and indispensable way for you to keep the campfire burning all your life. And then second, after that, after we give you this example from the Psalms of Asaph, talk about that just a bit, I want to take you to the New Testament and I want to do a little systematic theology with you. I want to show you four really key passages of Scripture that plainly state the thing I'm telling you, so that you'll have a biblical basis for building a deep conviction about this. This isn't a preference. This is what God commands of us and what God has promised to bless. And we've seen God bless this with people who live effectively for the Lord. And I want to tell, it's very plain, very simple, but that's a second thing. So the example of Asaph first, four passages from the New Testament second, and then I'm going to review what we've said so far and would you be surprised if I ended with a story? That might happen. And then, just a short one. And then after that, um, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. And then following that, we're going to sing again. And then after that, one of our elders, our, our newest, youngest elder, is going to come. And going to pronounce a blessing over us today. And this is all going to happen before lunch. So we need to get cracking right now. You might take your Bible and look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73, we won't do a thorough teaching of Psalm 73, but we will, we will do a faithful teaching of it. And, and, I, and I would kind of organize that teaching around this question, what happened to Asaph? Asaph is the author here. What happened to Asaph? You notice, as this was well read, you'll notice that, there, that Asaph kind of is in, a, is in trouble. He calls it what? I'm in a slippery place. I'm in a dangerous place. Now, Asaph was a well-known, well-heeled follower of God. He was a uh, worship leader in Israel, a psalmist and a worship leader. He wasn't a novice. He wasn't a baby Christian. But he was in a slippery place. And if you listen carefully to the text as it was read, you, he states why he was in a slippery place. He was in a slippery place because he had his eye on the prosperity of the, finish the sentence, the prosperity of the, the wicked, the, un, the ungodly, the, the, the not God follower person. And this is the problem that he confessed that he had. So when we read it again, Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are in pure heart. He kind of says, I know God is good, but I don't feel like it right now. You ever been there? I know God, I know you're good, but right now, can I just reverently say, I'm struggling. I'm in a slippery place. That's what he's saying. We've all been there, I think. As for me, my, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was tempted to believe, he says, that maybe it doesn't really pay to serve the Lord. Maybe those other people that don't follow the Lord are doing better than me. You ever have that temptation? You ever have that little doubt that goes through, that, that happens to a lot of us? And then he describes that. He describes what they're like, their pride and their arrogance and their violence. You ever frustrated that people that are powerful pick on people that are not powerful? Have you ever felt that? You ever been frustrated that people who have a lot of money take advantage of people who don't have a lot of money? Have you ever felt that? You ever have a loved one that's hurt because powerful people are taking advantage of them? You ever have a loved one that's hurt because wealthy people are taking, you know, people with money? can organize things so that they can just squeeze the last drop out of people without money. 
Can I get a witness on that? Is that true? Have you felt that? I have. And sometimes you want to say at a time like that, I love you, Lord, but where are you and when are you going to do something about this? Can I say this with reference? God, I feel like, look at them and what they have and how their life is going. And look at me and the stuff that's happening to me. Why is this? And so most of us, maybe all of us, will at least have a season of time when we are in that slippery place. Asaph was in the slippery place. But what happened to Asaph? Because he doesn't end like he began, does he? This psalm has this gorgeous ending of affirmation of faith. Who do I have in heaven but you? And there is nobody on earth that I desire besides you. You're everything to me, God. I trust you, God. He ends well. He lands on his feet. What happened to Asaph? He is, yeah, it's right here. Psalm 73, verse 13. I think it's interesting that he says, um, they have, verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence. All the day long I've been stricken, rebuked every morning. If I said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. See what he's saying? If, you, if, I, if I give my testimony right now, it will weaken the faith of your children. You don't want me leading worship right now, he's saying. But then he says this. But when I thought to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task. When I tried to untangle that, it seems like the wicked are prospering and the godly are not prospering. I was just like, it was too much for me. But then, verse 17, this is what happened to Asaph. This is where it turns. Until I went to the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. Now, after this, it's a completely different Asaph we're listening to. And he says immediately, you set them in slippery places. Get it? It's good poetry, isn't it? He says, I was in a slippery place when I was tempted to believe that you don't real, that it doesn't really pay to serve the Lord. But then I went into the sanctuary of God and I remembered their end, and they're the ones that are in a slippery place. Are you tracking with this? What happened to Asaph? Let me just say it in really bald terms. Asaph, Asaph went to church. You see it? He, he went to church when he probably didn't feel like going to church. He went to church when his faith was really weak and when he was really in a slippery place. He, he was probably discouraged. He was probably despondent. He was probably doubtful. And, and there are all, always going to be times when you and I find ourselves in that doubtful place, in that discouraged place. What should we do? Where, what should we do on those days? Go to church. It's just that simple. I would never tell a camper that he could just come back to camp and he'd be okay. That would be the worst advice because God has a program in the world and it meets every week. God's program is the assembly of the church and God's people, if they want to flourish, should assemble every week. Every week. Not every once in a while, but every week. And this is why. Not just, not just like Asaph, who's our example are you going to have times when you're tempted to believe that the wicked are prospering and you're not? But there are going to be a, a zoo, a thousand other things that are going to tempt you or plague you or trouble you. And guess what? If you're Sunday school teachers, and, and by the way, in the fall, we are lining up a set of adult classes that you're going to be really impressed with. Acts, Ephesians, Jeremiah, some exciting things happening. 
We're starting our, our children's Sunday school up again with a great thoughtfulness. We're starting, by God's grace, a wana up again. If we get enough helpers and volunteers, we may even have a meal before Awana. We have a registration online for Awana right now. Why are we doing all of this? And why is that? Because God works in the hearts of those who prepare themselves to minister to others, to give them a message that they need. When you miss that message, you miss God's word for you. That's why you don't flourish sometimes. And frequently, God, people will miss the very thing they needed. This happens often. If you've been in ministry, you know what I'm talking about. And so there's Asaph as an example. Now, let's, let's move to the second part piece of this. Let's move away from the example of Asaph. I think I've made my point with that. And I want to show you something I've taught you before, but I want to root it so strong in Scripture that you will see it as a conviction personally or the conviction you already have will be reinforced because the church needs this today. The church at large and, and Bethel Church, we need to be reminded why is this weekly fellowship with God's people, what's so powerful about it? What's so meaningful about it? Why is it a command of God to do this? And, and, and if I'm a man, if I'm a husband, if I'm a leader of a family, I, you want to take a look at this and say, this, this is what I'm pitching you for. Men, I would say you should look at these scriptures that I'm going to show you today from the word and say this is strong biblical foundation for this. This is the way I will lead my family. I will be the first one up. I will give priority to this. I will show enthusiasm for this. This is an important thing that I'm going to do. And you'll lead in that. And, and ladies, you know, you, you have such powerful influence in the way that you provide, in the way that you uh, create an atmosphere in the home and the way that you encourage and, and bless your husband and, 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 and perhaps maybe you don't have a faithful believing husband. And God has even in his word written very carefully if your husband is struggling or he's not faithful, he's not believing, God's mercy is over you to his, he, he, he's, he, the, for, for your sake, he sanctifies the whole family. There's power, spiritual power. You can say, I resolve to serve the Lord. I resolve to follow the Lord. I resolve to honor his name. Let me show you the biblical basis for this so that you're not just depending on my enthusiasm or my fast talking, but you can put your finger in a place in the Bible and say, this is what it says. I'm going to camps. I told you that over and over again. And one of the things I'm doing this summer is I'm saying to kids, you're going to forget what I say and you're going to forget my name. And that's okay. If you forget my name, as you remember Jesus' name. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take little tabs. I have these for my Bible, these little plastic tabs. And I want you to put a tab in the place where I taught something. I focus every message on one basic passage of Scripture. I want you to put a tab there. I want you to take a highlighter. I want you to mark it because this winter, when you forget all about camp and you can't remember my name, I want you to open your Bible and say, that's what God says. And church, that's what I'm telling you too. Don't take my word for it at all. I'm, I'm trying to teach the Bible faithfully. Take the Bible, open it up. Mark the passages, study them carefully. Is what he said true about those? This is what I'll build my life on. People who build their lives on the word of God have strong, they're able to face the storms when they come. And that's what you want to do as a family. If everything else you set aside, but you build your life on these promises. And so in Ephesians 3, this isn't one of them. This is just an, a, an important bit. In Ephesians 3, the whole book of Ephesians is about the program of the church. And it's, poet, it's powerful teaching. Powerful poetry, hint, hint. Uh, starting in September, Leo Cummings, our former pastor, current elder, is going to be teaching through Ephesians in an adult Sunday school class. So you can get it from Pastor Leo. But listen in, in chapter 3 and verse 10. 
it, it says through the, the, that through the church, this is Ephesians 3.10, this is a key part of Ephesians, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to rulers and to men, to people and to demons and to angels. Through the church, God makes known his, he spreads his wisdom. He shows his plan. Through the church is his plan. That's the point. At the end of that passage, in chapter 3 and verse 21, it says this, that through all the ages, the church, that there would be, and he says something interesting, glory in the church through every generation. So God's purpose, and we're going to talk today about the, why is this glory important? What's that about? But, but remember this, keep this placeholder in your mind. Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chapter 3 of Ephesians, or verse 21, there's going to be glory manifested in the church in every generation. You want to see the glory of God, and I'll explain why that is. And so here we go. What does this have to do with keeping a fire of your faith burning all your life? Well, you're saved, you consecrate yourself to God, you plan seasonal renewals of consecration, but there is something more, something indispensable in tending a lifelong faith for God, and that is, that is observing weekly reminders of eternal things. You get it. It's, 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 it's assembling with God's people on the Lord's day. This, this is what rescued Asaph from plunging off the cliff of doubt when he was tempted to envy the wicked. He says, I went to the house of God, I remembered judgment, God, heaven, hell, such Asaph went to church. He wasn't discouraged when he was doubtful is what he did. Now, notice this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Just hear this, and I'll, I'll display the four key passages on the screen in a moment. But in, in Ephesians, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, there's a favorite passage, if not maybe my favorite passage in the Bible. It's talking about the power of the glory of God. The glory of God is the full expression of who he is. It's the beauty of who God is. It's the full manifestation of who God is. And when we gaze on that with admiration, which is called worship, when we worship God for his glory, when we see who God is, it has a transforming effect on us and it has a satisfying effect on us. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with an open face beholding the glory of God, we are transformed into his image from one level of glory to another, even by the spirit of the Lord. So so the spirit, glory, presence of the Lord are clustered in this, and this is a theme throughout the whole Bible. I'm going to show you this. The spirit, the glory, the presence of the Lord. You want the power of the Holy Spirit on you. You want the glory of the Lord on your family. You want to be changed inside out. Amen? How does that work? You go to the assembly of the saints where God manifests his glory in special power. That is what the New Testament teaches. This is what I'm going to show you here. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. Go study the whole context. We'll go back and teach that in the future. But understand... The glory of God transforms us inside out. The worship of God, in particular, in the assembly of the saints, has a transforming effect on us. It can change us. And you know you need it, right? You know you need inside-out change. The second thing is, the glory of God has a satisfying effect on us. It's like you were made for that. You're made to give Him glory. You were made to gaze on His glory. You're, that's, that's, the, the, that's the fuel of your soul, you know, if you will. And that's why Asaph gets to the end of the psalm, and he says in verses 25 and 26 of Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. Asaph is reminded that God is everything to him. His satisfaction is rooted in God. And how did he get that? How, what, what helped him on that? He went to church, and he remembered, oh, that's right. 
And that's, if church is nothing else, that's what it is. You come, that's right, remind me, pastor, remind me of what I believe. Sunday school teacher, teach me again what I believe. Friends standing there, sipping coffee with me, shake my hand, look me in the eye, give me a hug, remind me that God is. There is a heaven, there is a hell, the Bible is true. Things of God are real. This is what church is about. It's very simple, but it's very, very powerful. Now understand that God has always had a place where he especially manifests his glory to inside out transform people. He's always had a place. You go back in the New Testament. I didn't always see this. And not too long ago, a few years ago, I bumped into a, a scholar. His name was James Greer. Dr. James Greer is with the Lord now. And he taught me this. He showed me this. He showed me in the scripture. He showed me a number of books. I read a number of books about this. He showed me in the scripture. He taught me personally. So I, I have some old emails that he sent me. I hadn't seen this before. I hadn't read the Bible with, this, with these lenses on before. And then when I, you know, it's like when you see something like this, then you can't unsee it. I want you to see this today. There's always been a place where God has promised to especially manifest his glory. Now, you know that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. So all you have to do to see the glory of God is to look at a little baby's face. Look at your wife's face. Watch your husband work. Look at the sunrise. Watch the hummingbird at the bird. That's the glory of God. Listen to the word of God read. That's the glory of God. But there is a special manifest glory of God that he promises that he manifests in the assembly of the saints. And the scriptures are so consistent with the language that you want to see this. And this has always been God's way. The garden, the initial garden had elements that were God's on earth first glory temple presence where his spirit worked. In the garden. And then later, what, you, what do you see that God's people, he gave them instructions. A huge part of the Old Testament, which is a little cumbersome to read, is the, 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 the directions for them to do what? To build a, a tabernacle. And you know that if you read about the tabernacle, that you see the main theme of that tabernacle was we're creating a place where God will what? Manifest his glory, presence, spirit, work, and power. And the Old Testament, so the Bible, God has always had a place where, where he especially manifests his glory, which is satisfying and transforming. You tracking with me? This is really good. I, I haven't seen this. Now that I see it, it, it gives me, it, 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 it empowers my heart to realize how important it is to do what we do here. Why? We had people here yesterday cutting the grass. Our lawn rangers are heroic. No kidding. Our lawn rangers are heroic. It's the best team. They're always on it. There's never, you ever notice there's never a stray blade of grass when you get here on Sunday? Never. It's always, all, always sharp. Because devoted men, and I think women, mostly men, and women that help with flowers and beautiful, is because, and, and you think, why am I doing that? Because the, this is a place where we've set apart to meet with God, and God manifests his glory presence here. So you are not just cutting the grass. You are making a dent on eternity. Amen? Isn't that great when you think about it? You come early, you make the coffee. You're not just making coffee for people. You're participating in something that has deep roots, and it will last forever. That's why we come on Wednesday night. And that's why we take a little cluster of kids, and we help them as they lisp the name of Jesus, and as they say their Bible verses. Because when they're old, we want them to remember the Word of God if they've forgotten everything else, and they're going to need it. Am I right? That's why we do that stuff. And I know, sometimes we get tired, and sometimes we get weary. Sometimes we think, well, I'm older, and I've done my thing, and, and I've, you know, of course, that's true. But then again, maybe there's still a place, you know, a pace for you and a place for you. I helped my son move. I wasn't much help. All day long I felt I'm not much help. Then they needed somebody to drive a long way, and I could do that. 
And when I got done with that, I thought, well, I, I helped. I was there. I, you know, they needed me to drive. And maybe you're not as young and strong and able as you used to be, but you could, you could listen to some verses. You could help in a, in a way. So I want to encourage you that have given, that have served, that have worked, that have organized teams, that have put together electronics and video and all the stuff that we so are grateful for that's been such a blessing to people. It's more than just a human thing you're doing. It's a way to manifest the glory of God for the transformation of people's lives for their deepest, longest satisfaction. It's pretty sweet when you think about that. So God has always had a place where he manifests his glory. He manifests his glory in the garden. He manifests his glory in this special way in the tabernacle. He manifested his glory in this special way in the temple. Do you remember the beautiful record of when Solomon prayed and dedicated the temple? It's one of the sweetest narratives in the Old Testament. And then there was a literal physical manifestation of God's glory to establish that God's favor and his glory was on that. You want that glory cloud on your life. You want that favor on your marriage. You want that on your business. You want the favor, glory of God on everything you touch. You want to do things God's way so that you have the, you're stepping into God's blessing for you. And this was true there in the Old Testament. Then when Jesus, and by the way, some of the saddest parts in the Old Testament are those parts where the glory departed. In Ezekiel chapter 10, when he's standing and watching the glory depart from the temple, it's a horrifying scene. Or remember the passage when Eli and he had those renegade sons, Huffi and Phinehas, that he didn't rein in, and they did all kinds of rotten things, and then they died in battle, and one of the widows gives birth, and they name, and, and then when they come back with the word that his sons die in battle, he falls off his throne and he dies. His daughter-in-law gives birth and names the child Ichabod. The glory has departed. Well, the worst thing that can happen to you, the worst thing that can happen to a church, the worst thing that can happen to a marriage or a business is the favor of God and the glory of God departs. This you don't want. We want to do what we can do to be, like the scriptures say, keep yourself in the love of God. You, 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 you understand this. And so in the New Testament, before the New Testament church, though, Jesus comes to earth and he is the locus of God's expression of glory while he's walking the earth. And, he, and we behold his glory. The, the glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in believers, though, what is the, what is the place where God in this age manifests his glory? I'm kind of overdoing this, right? You get it. It's the church. It's the local church. And, and, and the proof of that is the local church is actually called the temple of God over and over again. And the local church is always connected with that glory presence, with that same language, over and over again. And the ultimate thing is that the glory of God will cover the whole earth, and the whole earth will be a temple. But for now, it's wherever God's people assemble. Now, here are the passages to prove what I just taught you, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. This is what you want to mark in your Bible, go back to. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, he's describing the church, members of the household of God, the church is called the household of God family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Notice the introduction of temple language here. Christ Jesus himself being the, the, the cornerstone in whom this whole structure being joined together grows into what? A holy temple to the Lord, a place of God's glory presence manifestation. 
In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. You want the Spirit of God to work in your life? Say amen. <laughs> Say yes, yes. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Say, uh, come Holy Spirit. What a good prayer. Say it. See what happens. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit to my life. Come Holy Spirit to my family. Come Holy Spirit to my Sunday school class, to my church. Come Holy Spirit to my place of work. Manifest yourself here. Show your glory who you are. Miracles start to happen then. That's Ephesians 2. Does he see this? It's all through Ephesians. First Peter also uses the same language as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Again, temple language. But in the sight of God, chosen, precious, you yourselves like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Do you see it? To be a holy priesthood. There it is again, temple language. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Temple language. Through Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Temple language. 1 Peter 2. Third passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Don't you know that you... And it's you all. It's plural. It's not you personally. It's you all. Get it? So don't you know that you all are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. You all are that temple. You all are that temple. So when I'm a kid, I kind of think, what's the temple of the Holy Spirit? I say me. Oh, not the best and most accurate way of expressing that. It's us. It's especially when the saints assemble, then the Spirit promises to manifest himself. Now, you don't want to miss out on that. You need that. That's why flourishing Christians are always regular churchgoers. 2 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18. What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement, here it is, has the temple of God with idols? You are, you all are the temple of the living God. You, church, are the temple of the living God. I've given you four biblical witnesses on this that are very plain and very clear question. Do you long for a deeper work of God? Do you long for deeper satisfaction? Do you need spiritual power? Could you use a little help to change something in your life? Does your family need a little something more? Are you tired of the same old sins and the same old defeats in your life? Are you in a slippery place? Is your family in need? Do you want to bless others? Go to church regularly every Sunday. God is there in a unique way. He's omnipresent, displays his transforming, satisfying glory, especially in the church. So you never want to miss. I was talking to a young lady this week, and she was struggling with some stuff and going through a hardship and, and, and struggling with doubt like many of us do. I said, are you going to church regular? She said, I am. I said, well, good. You know, she lives in another area. So I looked up her church and I noticed that what she was saying in the pastor's last message were like, wow, that's amazing. I wrote her back and I said, did you, did you catch your pastor's last week's message? And she said, I, was, I, I, I missed last week. Well, and I'm putting her down. She's traveling and want to visit a friend. That's, I understand that. But do you see how often that if you've been in ministry a long time, you know that happens over and over again. What you needed most, the spirit prepared for you, you want to make sure you're there for it. Now, in case you misunderstand, I don't know if you're sick or if you're afraid you're going to infect somebody with illness. It's appropriate for you to stay home. If you are traveling, we like to travel. But, but I would say when I travel, I find a place where I can be with God's people. And I'm blessed by it. I love doing that. I'm driving to the countryside one day. The only Sunday I remembered in a long time. I'm not actually scheduled to preach anywhere. And I'm driving. I'm in, going up through Illinois 
I'd come up through the south of the country, and I'd look at my watch. It was about 11, and I, I looked online, and I found a little charismatic tree. I'm not really charismatic background, so it's going to be a little different for me. And I just find a little church of God's people, and I pull my car in there, and I slip in in my street clothes, and I sit in the back, and I, I watch what they do. And you know why? Because I owe him my life. And I wasn't going to speed by that church on a Sunday morning when I could stop and, with God's people and just go, Jesus, I just want to remind you, this is your boy Ken. He needs everything you got. And I want to tell you thank you for all that you've given. <laughs> and I just want to stop and say that, Lord, I love you, I love you, I love you. And now I'm back on the road. I didn't really maybe learn that much. I don't know if I was much of a blessing, but I wanted to let God know that he's my God. And I want to thank him. See what I'm saying? And so here are a couple suggestions, and that is, and I'm not discouraging you if you're visiting loved ones or if you're sick or contagious, but plan to assemble with God's people every week. Purpose in your heart. That's what you're going to do. Honor the Lord's day. Make it special. Prepare for it. Stop everything else. Take a deep breath. You know, make a, make, and you guys are going, you're looking at me right now going, well, pastor, I'm here. You're preaching to the choir. I know, I know. I'm just, I want to encourage you. And also, if you're doing that, I want to, you're doing the right thing. That's good. And if you're watching online, come be with us or go be with God's people where they are. You need that weekly reminder of eternal things. And that's why the writer of Hebrews told the, the Jewish Christians who were under a lot of pressure, he said, whatever you do, don't neglect the meeting together as the habit of some. This is Hebrews 10, 25. But encourage each other even the more as you see the day approaching. We need these reminders of things eternal. Be genuinely safe. Consecrate yourself to the Lord Plan seasonal renewals of consecration. And finally, practice weekly reminders of eternal things. There was a girl at camp one year, just a radiant Christian girl. I noticed her. She walked past. We were having a fire there. And I was talking with the camp director. And it was up by Traverse City. And this girl, this girl walks by. And she's just a radiant Christian girl. And I was like, and I looked at her. And the, the camp director said, you see that girl right there? I go, yeah. He goes, She's a brand new Christian. She got saved this year. And when she got saved, her mom kicked her out. She says, I'm not going to have any religious fanatics living in my house. She's just going to have to go. So she was couch surfing with friends that were Christians. And she decided she would find a place to go to church on a weeknight. And she found a, a youth group that met on a Wednesday night. And she just went. She was blessed. And it helped her. So she got online and she searched for a youth group meeting on another night of the week. And she figured out how she could be in a church every night. <laughs> and that's a little overkill. But that's what she did. She was in a church every night of the week so that her faith would be strong. And she had a radiance on her life. Because she, did, she realized there's a power when God's people assemble. And that's why... In Acts, when you have just such explosion of God's work, it says in Acts 5:42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they didn't stop teaching and preaching Christ Jesus. This is a time-tested truth for generations. When we meet together, we greet one another, we pray, we preach, we, we observe the Lord's Supper, we baptize new converts. The means of grace move us all forward in our faith. And we're going to observe the Lord's Supper right now. So if you take those elements in hand... We want to do what Christians have done for a couple of thousand years. When they assemble, they remember Jesus. They remember his death on the cross, his sinless life, his shedding of his blood. That's what we remember. And this is recorded there in, in, in uh, Matthew uh, in verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 
26, taking the bread. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. He said to them, take, eat. This is my body. Jesus took the cup in verse 27. And when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I'd like to invite you stand. I'd like to ask our prayer partners to come as we stand. And I want to give you an opportunity to make a, a, a commitment to God. And I'm bold to ask you to do it. My parents did this when I was not born yet. And I've done this. And it's one of the best decisions I ever made. I'm going to call upon you to do it if you haven't already done it. That you would make this commitment today. You just say to the Lord, Lord, I purpose in my heart that I will find an assembly of God's people every week I can. And that's what I'll do with my life. And you just tell him privately. You don't need to tell anybody else. If you need some counsel, encouragement, help, or if you need to, somebody to explain to you how to be saved for sure, that's why we have prayer partners here at the, at the front. And if they are occupied with you and somebody else wants to come, then you can come and we'll give you personal counsel. Pat, lead us in a closing song, would you?